You're listening to the Plastic Shift Podcast. Welcome to the Plastic Shift Podcast. I'm Madhav Malhotra, one of the students at the Plastic Shift, and I'm reaching out to several experts working to solve issues with plastic pollution. This podcast showcases unique perspectives on this massive problem to identify what its most important aspects are. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by Kelly McBee, Waste Program Coordinator at As You Sow, an organization working to bring meaningful sustainability to large corporations. I'm very excited to learn more about this unique approach to addressing plastic waste today. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time and I'm very excited to learn more about As You Sow's work on this very important issue today. And before we got started, I'd love to just hear a little bit of an introduction to yourself, how you got started working with this organization and what the goals are for all the campaigns at As You Sow. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Kelly McBee. I am the Waste Program Coordinator at As You Sow. And I work on our waste program, which engages companies on the full life cycle of their products, from material extraction to material disposal. And increasingly, we have been focused on the plastic pollution crisis, working with companies over the past many years to make their products recyclable, to end the use of non-recyclable materials, increase recycled content, and financially support infrastructure that can capture their products at end of life. I have been interested in this work for as long as I can remember. (laughs) One of my earliest memories is my mom asking me to label our recycling bin. We just had like a simple plastic bin in the house. She handed me a Sharpie and was like, why don't you label this? And I decorated the whole thing and like images of the earth and (laughs) recycling symbols. And I was, I'm the oldest of four siblings. And so I was the queen of the recycling bin and was having everyone in my house make sure that they recycled things. So uh, it's always been a dream of mine to work in this field and it's been great to work in it for going on five years. Yeah, and I think it's really cool to hear about your grassroots story at the most fundamental level there. And I think especially when it comes to As You Sow, there are two big questions in my head. The first one being the name. So does it have to do with the saying, like, as you sow, so shall you reap? It's exactly based on the saying. So if you sow good seeds and you give them care and nutrients and all of the aspects that they need, you will get a bountiful reward. But if you are negligent after you plant your seeds, you won't get any, you won't get the rewards that you intended. Yeah, I think it's really cool to hear about the direct connection with your work and that name. And then the second big question is, when it comes to most nonprofits working on this issue, we often hear about things like ocean cleanups. We often hear about consumer advocacy or the policy side of things. Why is it that, as you so decided, that the most promising way to address these problems, not just plastic pollution, but many others, would be to directly engage companies? So it's interesting. Companies are the most profitable entities in the world. I believe 75% of our global wealth is held by corporations, not by governments. And so the power to make those changes happens internally at these companies. And as consumers, we attempt to influence not companies with our individual actions and choices. And as nonprofits and activists, we attempt to run campaigns and we do run successful campaigns influencing these corporations what makes As You So unique is that we are able to present 
environmental and social issues to the company in such a way that because we are shareholders, we care about the company's long-term viability. So we present issues and do the research and analysis and say, by taking action on XYZ, you know, by taking action on recyclable packaging, you will reap the long-term benefits environmentally, socially, and economically. And we are able to work with the company instead of against them, as I think is the hole that a lot of other movements tend to fall into because they can pit the company as an enemy that needs to be like taken down or destroyed. Whereas as you so says, you know, let's, we are shareholders. We have a financial stake in your organization and we are also concerned about these issues. And let's talk about how the company can successfully move forward. And let's talk about how the company can move forward in a reasonable timeline. You know, legislation, I used to be a lobbyist um, for another environmental organization and it's difficult to make, you know, a one size fits all package, even if it's the desire and it could be excellent, it could really harm companies in the long term, potentially. And so we work, we work to find that balance between making sure that a company is being a good steward of its community, of its environment, and of our global resources, while also being profitable and turning a profit for shareholders. Yeah. Oftentimes it feels like we have these different entities and it's really easy to get lost in the competition between nonprofits and businesses. It feels like the two are against each other, but in the end, we really need to recognize that the problem is one that we all face. And one of the things that sparked my curiosity about how you do that is trying to work directly with the shareholders at these public companies, because I... I hadn't really thought too much about how there were these individuals of a little bit smaller numbers that usually you don't get to hear about because people usually, when they think about companies, they're just a few public figures or the names that they associate, but not all the people behind those scenes. So in terms of the shareholders you work with, what are their incentives for joining as you so and trying to make a change? What are some of the goals that you have with the alliance of investors that you have and so on awesome questions thank you the shareholders that we represent are individuals that have invested their wealth their capital with a fund manager or an asset manager and they work with this manager to make decisions about what companies they want to invest in and so the manager will say you know well what are you interested in what are your values what do you support and if this individual investor says, you know, I'm really concerned about the climate crisis, or I'm really concerned about plastic pollution, or I'm really concerned about slave labor in supply chains, or pesticides, or antibiotics, or any of these things that as you so works on, the asset manager refers them to us. And then we work with them to see what their interests are. We have usually engaged companies that they're interested in already. So we can talk to them about our work to date. And then we bring them on board as another shareholder who we can represent in dialogue with the companies as the experts in that issue. And then the Plastic Solutions Investor Alliance was formed about two and a half years ago out of a growing interest by investors in taking action to fight the plastic pollution crisis. It just became so suddenly clear that we were 
heading towards an awful future, you know, more plastic in the ocean than fish by 2050, the big statement that everybody knows. And they said, well, what can we do about this? How can we engage on this issue more directly? And it really wasn't that large of an issue that investors were speaking towards. And so, as you so, having worked on this issue for some time, was able to coordinate nearly 50 different global investors now, representing more than $2 trillion in engaging some of the largest fast-moving consumer goods companies on their products. And so we have seven asks, and they're things like make all of your packaging recyclable, reusable, or compostable, all the way to what I think of like the pinnacle of excellent product stewardship, which is producer responsibility, where a producer actually pays for the disposal of their product at its end of life. And so that alliance has had excellent coordination really has been very well received by companies, by the media, as a way of demonstrating how focused the world really has become on plastic pollution. And so we have engaged Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, Nestle, Procter & Gamble, and Unilever. And we will add to those engagements the laggard companies from the report that As You So just put out back in June. So back in June, as you so released our waste and opportunity searching for corporate leadership reports, wherein we ranked 50 of the largest publicly traded consumer facing companies. So these are fast food companies like Starbucks and McDonald's, beverage companies like Coca-Cola, Keurig Dr. Pepper, consumer packaged goods companies like Mondelez and Unilever, Kraft Heinz, Tyson and retailers like Walmart and Whole Foods. And we looked at everything that the companies had put out on their packaging. So do they report on the amount of their packaging that is recyclable? Do they financially contribute to recycling organizations like the Recycling Partnership or Closed Loop Fund that seek to enhance recycling infrastructure? Do they label their packaging as recyclable or not or with instructions? Do they incorporate recycled material into their overall products and to their plastic products? Do they have a goal to increase the amount of recycled content? So 36 metrics for each company. And then we ranked all of those metrics and gave the companies a letter grade on how much action they were taking against plastic pollution. And the highest grade was a B minus, and that was Unilever. And that is largely because Unilever is the only company that has an absolute plastic reduction goal. So not just a virgin plastic reduction goal, which is tricky because though it sounds good, the company is actually continuing to produce and make the same amount of plastic product, but they're just going to now be incorporating more recycled content, which is a step in the right direction. We should be incorporating more recycled content, but that needs to simultaneously be done with an overall reduction in the amount of plastic that we're using. So Unilever is the only company to have done that. I believe they committed to reduce their plastic by 100,000 tons by 2025. And there's a few other companies that have virgin plastic reduction goals, but only a handful. And so those, those laggard companies were the ones that received Cs or Fs, but that were the largest. We identified six companies, including Pepsi, Walmart, Kraft Heinz, Tyson, Mondelez, Walmart. And the Plastic Solutions Investor Alliance will be engaging those companies in the coming year, getting them to set better targets.
Yeah, I know when I was looking at your reports, it was just the first time I was actually looking at real data that was easy to understand when it came to these problems with companies, because I found that in my research, a lot of the times we break down the plastic problem in terms of countries, and even that research is a little bit dated. So one of the things that I was curious about was when you actually present these findings in a very comprehensible manner, and you also have your efforts to engage companies, and you do have these suggestions for how they could move forward. What are some of the common, I guess, objections or challenges that a large corporation might have in trying to transition to having recyclable packaging or have concrete goals in mind for the future? Do you often see a common problem coming up over and over again? There are a few obstacles that companies identify. One is the reality that plastic is lightweight and therefore is more environmentally friendly, according to their life cycle assessments, to transport packaging. And so if they talk about replacing plastic with an alternative material, it's possible that it can be more expensive or worse for the environment. You know, if something's heavier, it uses more fuel to be shipped across the country. And there needs to be a lot more research on life cycle assessments. The issue there, as we identified it, as you saw, is that life cycle assessments don't actually capture the full life cycle of that product. And usually the pitfalls there are the disposal. So for instance, plastic that ends up in the ocean releases greenhouse gas emissions. And that is not accounted for in any life cycle assessment of plastic. Plastic that ends up being incinerated not only releases toxins into the environment, but can impact human health. And how do you put a number on the impact onto human health? In addition, the extraction of oil and gas to refine plastics is not accounted for in life cycle assessments, like the impact that that has on communities. I mean, think about Cancer Alley in Southeast America. So more to be seen. We have not identified a single company that has a true life cycle assessment yet of plastic. So we don't currently consider a life cycle assessment to really hold its own as an argument to continue to use plastic. It could be. It's very possible that when a more comprehensive life cycle assessment happens, it can be demonstrated that yes, okay, plastic has superior qualities. And in looking at that concept though, we have to think bigger than just a substitution scenario. The end goal is not to replace, say, all plastic with paper. The end goal is to fundamentally redesign the way that we deliver products and goods to consumers. So thinking about bulk bins, thinking about reusable packaging are where we know that the industry needs to shift. Another barrier that companies face in trying to be more sustainable and trying to stem the tide of plastic is the high price of recycled plastic content. Because we subsidize oil and gas, it is cheaper for companies to incorporate virgin plastic than it is to incorporate recycled plastic. And this is where a company's commitment to its sustainability really comes into play. So Nestle, for instance, we applaud them in our report for committing an additional amount of money towards buying recycled content. I think the number is like $1.6 billion that they've committed to purchasing recycled content. I'll have to fact check that for you. And we need more companies like Nestle that are committed to doing the right thing, even if it costs a little bit more. Yeah. 
I think especially with the points about oil production right now in the past little while when oil prices literally go negative that's when especially for smaller businesses that we've been talking to it's really hard to continue to invest in this so I think that when it comes to larger corporations it's great to hear about how there is potential to consider the long run instead of the short-term economic fluctuations of the material costs but yeah there are a ton of challenges and that's finally what I wanted to wrap up with was to hear about some of your ideas that as you saw in terms of what do you think are the next steps that are most important for anyone to be working on not just the companies and the people who make decisions there but also people like investors or people like consumers or non-profits like yourself that is such a beautiful question to be asked how I envision the world to be <laughs> right what I want it to be I think that as consumers, as advocates, as policymakers, and as corporate employees, truly expanding our idea of product delivery is the best thing that we can do. So thinking about how do we continue to provide consumers with convenience, with product choice, and with high quality products without producing as much waste? because the way that we've been doing it is unsustainable. And if we continue to just act as we've been doing, we're gonna be in big trouble. We're already starting to feel that trouble. And that frame of mind needs to trickle down through every layer of society. And I find myself feeling challenged when I'm at the grocery store and you know I wanna buy something, but it's packaged in a non-recyclable packaging. And I'm thinking, how else can I buy this? Should I not buy it? And sometimes I have to buy it, but Something that's made me feel better about that is taking, you know, obviously I work professionally in this field, so I am talking to companies in that way, but I have a voice as a consumer too. And so making the best decisions that I can make, and when I have to make a decision that I'm uncomfortable with, doing something about it. So contacting the company, writing them and saying, you know, I am a customer of your product. I enjoy what you make, but I am looking for an option that is packaged in reusable packaging. I am looking for this product to be sold in bulk. I am looking for something else. And as soon as I see that on the market in my community, you're going to lose my business. <laughs> and they want to say that. And that will help trigger that company. I am really excited that in my community, we have a local refillery that does nothing but weigh your own container when a person brings it in and then fills it up with shampoo, conditioner, laundry detergent. I think there are like 200 products in this store and then you pay by the ounce. And so it's entirely zero waste. And I buy everything that I can there now. And so all these other stores have lost a lot of business as a result of that. But the companies that have made their product available to be sold in bulk in that way are gaining. And we have been doing this work with companies for some time. And our conversations with companies, you know, 10, 15 years ago were that the consumer demand wasn't there. I recall one company saying they piloted a refillable laundry detergent with a partnership at a grocery store and consumers complained that it was messy and inconvenient for them to bring in their container. And so this company, which was at the forefront of reusable packaging this many years ago, ceased to pilot. But now in our recent conversations with them, they've said people want it again. And, you know, we've done some research so we can make it better. And that's exciting. 
it's exciting to see that consumer voice really is integral in corporate decision making. Yeah, I think these are amazing ideas to wrap up with. And I do have to say that I have heard a greater diversity of ideas that are unique in this podcast than many of the other ones that we've recorded. So I really wanted to thank you for taking the time to share all of this insight today. And if anyone is interested to learn more about As You Sew's work, where might they go? You can find us at asyousow.org. We also are on Instagram. All right. Well, I'm sure that people who are interested might be able to learn something unique there. And thank you again for taking the time today. Thank you so much.